This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 30th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Doing history well requires some idea of what makes these facts and not those facts essential to crafting a clear picture of the past. Michael Duma is co-editor of What is Classical Liberal History? We discussed why and how liberty and the individual matter in making history. For people who aren't historians or don't study history a lot, I think there is a sort of a convenient trap that people fall into, and that is to view history as just one thing. And that history is just, here's what happened. Here's the things that are most important about what happened. Here's what these events led to. And these are the the lessons that we ought to take from today. And that's it. And that there aren't these, I don't know, many ways to look into a prism of the past and say and and draw conclusions about groups of people, about great men, about uh, social movements, and about uh, individuals just trying to live their lives. So, you know, there are these many different ways of looking into history, and classical liberals, as as you point out in uh, one of your books, the classical liberal tradition of history is underutilized. So tell me about what what is classical liberal history and how does it distinguish uh, from these other ways of looking at history? Okay. The, the first point I should make uh, to follow up on your comments here is that there's a difference between history and the past, right? So the past is what happened. History is the study of the past. And I think a lot of times, a lot of us, we have these assumptions that this is the way that it happened. If others disagree with us, they're wrong, you know, not that there can be multiple ways of interpreting the game that we watched this last Saturday, let alone some historical event. The classical liberal view of history is its own particular thing. And I really think it's the mainstream view that's been neglected probably because it's almost too obvious. And that is professional history began in the 19th century and it began in a liberal vein. We wanted to look at the sources. We wanted to figure things out empirically. We wanted to use reason to judge the past really for the first time and put things to the test. And at the same time in the 19th century was the rise of liberalism, the interest in liberty. And so we started telling history that was the story of liberty rather than the story of the kings and queens or, you know, the story of, of the city and its magistrate and how things were organized. We've gotten away from history as the story of liberty, and we've returned in the 20th century to other themes, to the theme of the nation, national history is still very popular, to the history of the social class, to the history of various groups. And, you know, and I think some of these um, are not uh, incompatible. We can talk about social groups from even the Marxist perspective and talk about liberty at the same time. Now, you mentioned the Marxist perspective. That is a, you know, a unique view of history that uh, there's a lot to unpack in just to probably explaining what the Marxist view of history is. But in, in a nutshell, can you, can you give me a sense of what are the dominant strains of history? Because I, I know that 
the first time I ever considered the idea that there might be some alternative view of history is Howard Zinn. When you say, oh, this is a, this is a history of the peoples, mm -hmm. of, of movements, of yeah. groups that were very interested in uh, a piece of progress or people who were uniquely uh, treated poorly. Yeah, especially in American history. So, so give me just the broad strokes of what these other views of history are. Yeah, and and to do so, I really have to distinguish between like philosophies of history and approaches to history. So there are philosophies of history like Marx or Hegel or even the Christian view of history that say the past develops in this certain direction that we can know certain things that it has this shape or direction or or purpose or motivation underlying it approaches to history are more like what should we look at and how can we figure things out using different tools of the past and focusing on different topics. So if you're, you're absolutely right. For a lot of people, Howard Zinn is this alternative that you go to your K through 12 education and you get this sort of standard facts of American history. It tends to be quite nationalistic. It has some of that old Protestant overtones of, you know, written by New Englanders in the 19th century. It's the cotton gin. It's the Civil War. It's the New Deal. It's World War II. Yeah. And for a lot of people, Zinn opens them up to this idea that, wow, there were things in the past that were evil, that were wrong, that are, that are hidden from the textbooks, and we can recover those types of things. So Zinn is a combination maybe of some progressive history, some Marxist history, and just this sort of radical contrarianism that says we're doing everything wrong. And historians use a variety of approaches. None of us really in the academy anymore believe in great philosophies of history that determine everything. The closest to that, I would say, is probably Marxism today. Um, but that's not too popular in academia, despite what people might think. Um, and so the different approaches are, what are our topics going to be? Is it the individual? Is it the group? Is it the nation? Are we going to focus on conflict or as the progressives do or or getting along or technological progress in, in, in the process of things, as a libertarian might say, that develop by not by design, but simply the actions of, of people over time. And so it's what we look for that's important. Now, on the cover of your uh, most recent book, Creative Historical Thinking, uh, there are some lines drawn and they're curvy. They go in weird directions. And this is supposed to give us a picture of how history actually moves. Well, sort of. So I have, I'm showing you the cover now and I have two books that came out in one year. It's not because I'm a incredibly productive scholar. It's because they just happen to come out at the same time. And it's true on the cover of my new book, Creative Historical Thinking, I have a drawing that I stole from Lawrence Stern's book, uh, Tristram Shandy, which is the first novel apparently in the English language, like 1769. And in the fifth volume of the five or more volumes of the book, he describes the narrative lines of the past four volumes. And he says, I could not tell the story straight through, that no history is ever a direct line. And he draws this squiggly line for each volume. And he says, look, there were asides and I had to foreshadow and backtrack and move around. When we tell history, we're selecting facts. We're picking and choosing things to try to make sense of it all. Because the other alternative is chaos. Some people look for too much design in the past. 
They want to see one general trend. Some people give up and say, look, there's no point, there's no purpose to anything. But most historians try to find some themes, some connections, and we have to select a subset of all historical knowledge or we get overwhelmed. So we have to decide what is important, what are we looking for, and how do we select it? So these are, uh, in a sense, narrative arcs in a way of of the movement of uh, the subsets of historical events that you've chosen? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And so arc is a great metaphor for a narrative that it goes up and down, that it starts low and has a rise of energy and fades at the end like a tragedy or it resolves itself at the end. And so we can imagine narrative forms being in many different shapes, going on roads and paths and climbing up and down. And that's something I do in that in that book. So people, when they look at history, people who are not historians, when they look at history, they're often expecting something that has a an impulse, a direction. So what does that do to our understanding of history if that's the expectation that that people have when they're going to delve into, uh, you know, any work of history? Well, so some people like the the postmodernists for example say that these narrative forms completely shape the facts that we look for in the stories in the stories that we're going to tell that we can only tell certain types of stories when we look at the past and you can imagine how this happens like economic historians they look at the data and isn't it isn't it interesting that every time Krugman sees the data it tells a Keynesian story and every time somebody else sees it it doesn't tell a Keynesian story right so they have these sort of like imprinted lines of narrative in their mind they're looking for these um same same types of things tropes tropes that's yeah that's the word that uh, hayden white uses in the 70s and that people have picked up um i think it's important to think about that and how you know our personalities what we've learned our experiences shape what we're looking for but also at the same time to be open and reasonable and rational to recognize look my story isn't the only possible story you can tell the history of some conflict as a as you know, in my perspective or the other side's perspective. So what kind of traps do we fall into uh, if we're trying to understand the past? Certainly, and this is the historian's job in some ways, is to boil things down, to provide us with pictures of what were critical moments, what were critical decisions, what, you know, what were the people reacting to at a moment in time. And yet, if you're correct, that there are these many different ways that we can look at uh, a particular uh, period. What traps do we fall into when we tr we ourselves try to boil that down to essential elements? Is it just is it just a a a failure to grapple with the fact that it's always more complicated than we think it is? Well, think of like the conspiracists who find meaning when there perhaps is none, where they link things that are stretched over long distances. We're always looking for something. And we, sometimes we ascribe too much meaning to the past when we look at a past event and why did this happen? And sometimes we want to think, well, a person was in charge of it, right? Like there's this grand design. Sometimes things happen completely accidentally or chaotically. Um, I think another uh, fault in history, we like to explain things by holes. So like, we not particulars, but holes. So we explain like 
the nation had this view. And so it was inevitable that the nation would go to war or move in this direction, um, that the social class or the social group would do this. Um, even, even with football teams or something, we may mention the, the football team has a character, therefore this team, but it, what it boils down to is individuals. I mean, a team is no more than the individuals that comprise it. A nation is no more than the people that live within it. And that's a really interesting uh, metaphor for history or sporting events because you can always go to the the highlight reel of a sporting event and look back on the on the event and say, this was a key turning point for this for this game. Exactly. These guys, they found their their might and they fought back and they won the game. And this was the key moment that mattered the most. Well, isn't it amazing that sports commentators can make up narratives on the fly. Everything has meaning. There's these terms like um, of, of, of ridicule, um, like inertia, right? What, what is inertia in sports? Like the team that has the momentum in the fourth quarter is the one that's going to win. But what, what exactly is momentum? Is that is that pointless? I mean, is it pointless to say that there is momentum in in history? Well, we can um, believe that this affects people, that they, they think in in this way so sure i mean you know we can we can look at any historical event and think that there's these these outside forces when classical liberals write history and they bring presumably an an ideology to the table when they're writing history the same as uh, marxists or progressives or conservatives might bring to the table what does that give us in terms of the 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 types of stories we get, or e- even just the the tone of the stories that we get out of historians who are steeped in classical liberal tradition? Well, a number of things. I think, first of all, liberal history tends to be quite open because we believe that we can you know, sort through the past and, and find new types of things. And I think that's always important to not come into it with a fixed. So, for example, the Marxists have a pretty fixed view of what history should be. Um, I think liberals tend to be a little bit more open. They recognize that it's not going to be always a story of triumph or failure or history developing in one direction. Um, We're going to get through the liberal lens more stuff about movements, I think, and more things about process. So the hockey stick curve of economic growth or the, the development of the women's rights movement rather than conservatives, I think, for example, really tend to like biographies. They see, they see this connection between the story of the past and the story of a person. They like to live through this other person. Liberals- Churchill mostly. Yeah, Churchill. Um, Lincoln. Def- definitely Lincoln. There's about <laughs> 6,000 biographies of Lincoln. I'm not sure we need any more. Um, but liberals, true, true to the word, are interested in ideas. And so they're going to be tend to be more history of ideas and movements, I think, and, and foremost of them- Liberty as an idea. One of the things, and, and I've spoken with Anthony Comegna on various episodes of uh, this podcast about uh, how ideas get hijacked and and that uh, perhaps classical liberal history ha- gives us an opportunity to see where thinking uh, or I should say careful thinking gets degraded over time and reduced to very simplistic wrong thinking about our role in the world, our role in society, the rights that we are obligated to uh, respect in others. 
Yeah, I think the history profession has lost some of its basic um, ability to argue, think about things reasonably, to go to the sources. There's a there's a battle among historians who are empiricists versus those that are theorists and like to start um, with theory. But that classical liberal idea of empirical, reasonable, the idea that we can argue history back and forth is really at the core of the discipline in the field. And people don't realize it or recognize it, that this is essentially a liberal discipline that over the 20th century has lost some of those elements. So what's bothered me about history that I've read in the past is is the focus on great men or, or great women who have achieved great things in their lives. And it seems to me, particularly in, in the realm of politics, that, that to the extent that you're uh, really care a lot about being one of those people, really all you have to do is start a war or uh, be somebody who took this decisive, even if disastrous action in order to be remembered. I think the history of great men is attractive because it's so easy to write that the narrative, the biography tells itself, you know, and we can relate to it. There's trouble. The guy came along, he solved it. He had tragedy. He rose above this. It's like the nation. It's very easy to write the nation as a series of four-year presidential reigns and everything is determined by those presidential reigns rather than recognizing that there's now 300 and some million people running around doing all their own um, individual uh, things. And so biography is um, a, a subset of history that can be useful, but it's a very limited set of what, what all history can be. Michael Duma is co-editor of What is Classical Liberal History? We spoke earlier this month. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and when you think about it, ask Alexa to play the Cato Daily Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>